Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray together before we turn to Second First uh, Corinthians chapter two. Oh God, we are so thankful for your presence with us in worship today. We're thankful for each other and for the gift of giving our hearts to you as you give your heart to us. Help us to hear now from your word, your life, your love. Open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We continue our series on connecting with first things in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter, so if you want to follow along, just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll read, we'll read all of it. Let's hear the Word of God. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, that's Paul coming to the church, at, to the people at Corinth. I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God." Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, but we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual, those who are unspiritual or natural in some translations, do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
those who are spiritual discern all things, and they themselves are subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. In your up and coming, right there on the front, you've got two columns. Take a pencil if you've got one or a pen and draw a line between those two columns. Just draw a line. We're going to kind of unpack Paul's comparing and contrasting argument that he makes here. On the left side, the answers to those questions are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the answer to those blanks. But the first one is the mystery of God, the mystery of God demonstrations of the spirit and of power, demonstrations of the spirit and of power. And the third one, the power of God. Those three go on the left side. Mystery of God, demonstrations of the spirit and of power, and finally the power of God. On the right side of that line, write these, lofty words of wisdom, plausible words of wisdom, And finally, human words of wisdom. Lofty words of wisdom, plausible words of wisdom, and human wisdom. Paul compares and contrasts these things to help get his argument across. Paul is making a strong argument about the true source of unity of mind and purpose in the Christian church. We find the true source of unity of mind and purpose on the left side of that column. Wisdom certainly has its place in the body of Christ, no question about that. Paul even agrees, but human wisdom is very different from the true wisdom of God. Paul starts out here reminding the Corinthians, I came to you with a simple message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That message, Paul says, came with mystery, spirit, and power so that your faith might rest on the power of God and not on the wisdom of men. This is Jesus' Easter gift to the world and to the church. A good friend of mine recently shared uh, with me that the pandemic put him in a faith crisis of the worst kind. Some of you may know what he's talking about, a faith crisis during the pandemic. He said, He said, I held on by a single thread all during that time. It was awful, but I held on by a single thread. I said, what in the world was that single thread? He said, years ago, right out there in the narthex, right outside those doors, I heard God call my name, and I knew that God was real. I knew that God was real. That's mystery, spirit, and power, isn't it? I said, what about all the years of Sunday school and Bible study and all the worship and all the sermons and all those things? And he said, oh, I'm sure all of that was like water dripping in a bucket. Yes, absolutely crucial and necessary to my life. But when the chips were down, the one thread that I held on to was that moment when I heard God call my name in the narthex. I said, I don't know that it matters, but I have a question. Did you hold on to your faith? Or did God hold on to you in those moments? I don't know. What matters is that that thread held when nothing else did. That's faith built on the power of God. That's what Paul is talking about. I think about our own John Wesley's spiritual rebirth. If you don't know, John Wesley and his brother Charles founded the Methodist movement that would become our Methodist church. 
He was, when this happened, he was already an ordained Anglican priest. He was at a church meeting. Somebody read aloud Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans, which is so boring. I went and read it. I thought it must be great. It's not. It's so terribly boring. I don't, don't even now know how anybody stayed awake through it. Wesley writes in his journal about this. About a quarter before nine in the evening, while one was reading from Luther's preface to the Romans, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley had struggled with the law of sin and death for years, trying to earn God's forgiveness, not seeing it as a gift, and then trying to grab that sense of assurance for himself. He writes about how after this happened, he testified to all those who were gathered there and how immediately the evil one brought temptations and questions to his heart and mind and caused him great turmoil. He said, the night was long. I was much buffeted by temptation after I got home, but I cried out and they fled away. God sent me help from his holy place. That's Wesley's own words in his journal. The next morning, Wesley wrote these words. The moment I awaked, Jesus, Master, was in my heart and in my mouth. I found all my strength lay in keeping my eye fixed on him and my soul waiting on him continually. Faith built on human wisdom converted to faith built on the power of God. Now, some may say, yes, but that's John Wesley, a formidable figure of faithfulness. No, this is John Wesley, the stuffy, overeducated, know-it-all Anglican priest whom none of us would have enjoyed at all. This is the moment that John Wesley is converted. What does it look like, I wonder, for your faith to be converted from human wisdom to the mystery and power of God? and demonstrations of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For me, the engineer, wisdom is vital to my life. I, I marvel at our ability as a people to figure things out. I value argument and disagreement as we work through stuff. I think technology and theology are crucial to healthy living. I need things to, to be wise, things in my life to be wise. I need my thinking, my, my living, my praying, my preaching to be wise and sensible. If any of you have ever had to sit by me after I finished preaching, I probably leaned over and said, with no small amount of unhealthy desperation, did that make any sense? That's what I always say. Did that make any sense? As if the preachers are nodding. They've heard me say it a million times. As if somebody would be converted to Christ by my sensible preaching, like it's a 12-minute sales pitch complete with inspirational music. Thank you, Ben. That's not what it is. All of that is important, but it is not the power of God. It is not the mystery. It is not the Holy Spirit. I have come to understand that in this work of following Christ and helping others do the same, far more is going on than we could ever put in some wise sermon or teaching. Paul says, says this, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, that when our eyes are opened or converted to this spiritual work, we then have access to the very mind of Jesus Christ, the mind of Christ. If we limit 
our discipleship to that which is natural or unspiritual, that which is sensible, and even that which is wise, we cut ourselves off, verse 14, from the bigger picture, the one that God is still painting. We miss, we miss a fundamental part of Jesus' Easter gift to the world and to the church. When I was in Crossville, uh, I was struggling so much to apply the very best of human wisdom to the work of leading the church. Sometimes it went great, and sometimes it just blew up. <laughs> I felt after what would have been 10 or 12 years of ministry that, that something very important was missing from my work and my practice of ministry, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I just couldn't understand what was going on. One Friday noon, I sat with our church council chair at the time at a place called the Catfish House. Guess what you eat at the Catfish House? Anybody know? That's, you get catfish there. It's really good, too. Matt knew everybody there. I was eating with him. People were coming over to talk to him, and it was just an endless parade of folks, and I just kept eating that fish. I just kept on. I would smile and nod, nice to meet you, and keep eating. All at once, the cook came from the back. He rushed out. He came with these wild eyes. He was covered in cornmeal and flour. I tried to brag on his fish, but he interrupted me. He said, you're a pastor. You're his pastor. Yes, that's right. He said, I need to come and talk to you. I said, okay, what about? He said, I just need to come and talk to you. Before I could say, can I have another piece of this all-you-can-eat catfish, he he had called the church office on his cell phone while I was sitting right there beside him and got on my calendar. <laughs> Our first meeting was just as strange and bizarre as you might expect. I found out he was a practicing Muslim who wanted to debate the core tenets of the Christian faith. He had lots of questions which I could never answer. I never, not a single time, did I win an argument with him. But he kept coming back and coming back and coming back over and over again. I gave him every book I had, hoping that something would just keep him away. Maybe if he gets a big book, he'll stay gone for a week or two instead of coming every three or four days. He often seemed angry with me. He would come back after reading a book and have these brilliant questions, which I couldn't even understand, okay? I didn't know even what he was asking, and he would, just, he would seem so angry. I was not exactly afraid of him, but I'll have to tell you, I always kept a chair between himself and myself, so he'd have to fall over that when I jumped out the window of my office. So that's the kind of relationship we had going. I got to where I intentionally avoided him. I'm ashamed to say one day I intentionally missed a 3 o'clock meeting with him. I drove all over town for two hours so I could be out of the office. We had a really wonderful Baptist secretary at the Methodist Church. She could not lie, would not lie, and did not lie. And I said, I need you to call and tell him I'll be out of the office. And she said, I'll be happy to, but you had better be out of the office. I am not going to hell for you. That's what she said. <laughs> okay. So I disappeared for the rest of the day. I slipped back in about 5.15 to grab my stuff, and, and here this man just appeared at my door. <laughs> he was holding a Koran, the Bible, and he had that wild look from the catfish house all over again. The Lord shut my mouth before I could gather up my words to shame him out of there. <laughs> Do you know what that man said to me 
He said, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I don't know why, but I know he died for my sins too. What am I supposed to do now? We prayed. We cried. We marveled at the foolishness of it all. We baptized him in a rock quarry on the coldest Easter since Jesus came back. Shannon was there. It was 30-something degrees. The air temperature, I think the water was 15 degrees. It was almost frozen. He's a good Methodist preacher now. Only God can do that. He was converted by the power of God. The power of God. But you know what? I was converted too. Paul helps us to know that our salvation, while it is full and final in Jesus, no question about that, it is also ongoing. We are all continually being converted as the mystery, the power, and the Spirit of God reveal the true wisdom of God found in the cross of Jesus Christ. What is it, we wonder? What is it? Verse 16, what is it to have the mind of Christ? What could that be? Perhaps. It is to understand that by God's grace, we are each beautifully broken works in progress, being made whole, not by words of wisdom or accomplishment or the sheer force of our own will, but by what Jesus did on that cross for everybody in the world. When we can begin to think collectively with that mind before all of our other minds kick in, we will know, verse 7, God's true wisdom, no longer secret and hidden, but made real in Jesus and in those who follow him. We will know, verse 16, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. Do you have, do you have the mind of Christ yet? You should. It came with your Easter gift from Jesus. Cross empty tomb, mind of Christ. Perhaps we haven't unwrapped that last one just yet. Let's unwrap it together. It really is one of the first things, and we need it now more than ever. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>